Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Shamak Kosandu from Toronto in Canada. After a very busy weekend of combat sports of all different flavors, we will unpack the best of that for you on this week's show, as well as looking forward to a show that was supposed to be in London this week. I'm not going to lie, Sandu, I am a little bit sad about that. It should be the start of a UFC fight week for me. It's not because it's back over in Vegas now, but the Brits are out in force at the UFC Apex this coming weekend. We will break all of that down for you on this week's show. Sandu, we, talk, uh, we had a very quick chat before the show went live. You've had a busy weekend, my man. How are you? I'm pretty good, uh, considering. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Normally, we'll you know consume our combat sports on a, on a Friday and on a Saturday night, especially Saturday night is traditionally combat sports night. And then we usually have our Sundays to kind of you know sleep on it, you know, gather our thoughts, and then we record the pod on Monday. This is quite rare for us because the biggest fight of the weekend was. Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley, which has literally just wrapped up less than 12 hours ago from the moment that we're, you know, started to record this podcast today. So, yeah, it's been tiring. A lot happened. But, hey, this is the business. This is the industry that we work in. No complaints here whatsoever. It was a fun weekend. There was lots of engagement, lots of attention and eyeballs on the on the combat sports world, specifically in boxing. And I can't wait to get into it with you today. Yeah, busy one. So we had Friday, Saturday, sorry. Yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, we had fights. So on Friday night, we had PFL 9, which was the final uh, round of playoff fights for the PFL in the 2021 season. And uh, the Brit Pack had particular interest in this one because our very own Brendan Lockname was involved in the main event of the evening against uh, Movlid Kobolev in the featherweight semifinals. Didn't go Brendan's way. It was a it was a tough tough fight. Uh, Kabalayev and Lockname both very very good in the stand up. Both good on the ground, but it was Kabalayev's wrestling that really proved the uh, the difference maker. He ran out the split decision winner 30-27, 28-29, 29-28, and he moves into the final where he will take on the winner of the ninth other semi final, Chris Wade, who uh, beat one of the pre tournament favorites, Bubba Jenkins. By unanimous decision, 30-27, 30-27, 29 But very quickly, Sandu, a great run from Brendan Lochnane, who obviously we know the route that he took to get to the PFL, um, the disappointment of the Contender Series, had two non-season fights in the PFL while he waited for the start of the 2020 season. Then he had to wait for an entire year because COVID put the PFL 2020 season uh, on hiatus, effectively, they basically scrapped the season, came back for 2021 and looked superb all the way through. Even though he lost on Friday night, he still looks super competitive and um, he's going to come back and be even better. But I guess the question now, Sandu, is come back where? Where are we going to see him next time out? And what did you make of his run in the PFL? A fantastic run. I had the pleasure of working with him. Uh, a few times while I was working for the PFL a couple of years ago when he first joined the the promotion. Obviously, last year, due to COVID, couldn't compete at all. So he just kind of spent most of his time, I think it was in Thailand, where he was kind of focusing on his craft. And and obviously, when you know things started to kind of gear up again at the back end of last year, he has literally not been home in, I think it's something like, I want to say 14 to 16 months. Hasn't seen his family, hasn't seen his friends. So mentally, that's probably a lot to to deal with whilst you're constantly on the grind, you know, just in the gym and doing media, competing for a fight and then recovering onto the next one, onto the next one. So it's definitely been a grueling process for him. The thing is, and, and I mentioned this on social media, Simon, of all the fights from these PFL playoffs, this was the fight I was most looking forward to. Brendan Lochnane versus Movlid Kaibulayev. Brendan, obviously, you know, we got a major interest as as he was the only Brit involved in the PFL league or season this year. But from my perspective, I know Movid really well because, again, like I said, I did work at the PFL, so I know what he's all about. And I think the rest of the world started to see what he's all about as well. He is a real dangerous featherweight. He's one of the best featherweights in the world that isn't signed to the PFL, uh, Bellator or, 
uh, the UFC. He is a PFL guy. He's been with them for a few years now. His record now is 18 and 0. And I, and I say this, I would have loved to have seen a fifth, uh, sorry, a fourth and a fifth round. Because I feel yeah. like the longer the fight went, I, th- I feel like Brendan was kind of starting to feel his groove a little bit more. And, and he's got a fantastic gas tank. Unfortunately, it wasn't the case. It was a three-round fight. And Mogad got the nod on the judges' scorecards. Brendan has got nothing to be ashamed of whatsoever. He should keep his head held high. And and yeah, go back home, Simon. You know, recharge, reset the batteries. Um, who knows what his contractual situation is. I still feel like the PFL route for someone like Brendan is the best path to collecting a big payday. But let's see. You know, we know that Bellator are really pushing to make the European scene kind of their home away from home, right? The UFC aren't going back to the UK. Bellator are. The UFC aren't going back to Ireland anytime soon. Bellator are. Brendan Lochnane in both those markets could be a draw for, for Bellator. Um, and obviously, we know the history with Dana White and the UFC. So I, I think that's probably the most unlikeliest of uh, situations, him getting signed by the UFC. But um, whatever happens, I feel like Brendan Lochnane still has a lot more to offer. And I can't wait to see him return most likely next year. Yeah. And uh, it's worth saying, actually, Brendan, super confident all the way through the tournament, puts himself across really, really well. Uh, respectful, but confident all the way through. Um, talked up his opponents rather than talking them down. I think a lot of people could learn something from that um, because if you talk up your opponents and then you beat them, that makes you look even better, right? And that, that's kind of what he did as he went through the tournament and uh, offered no excuses whatsoever after his after his defeat, said he lost to the better man on the day. But he did reveal that he broke his hand in the Tyler Diamond fight pre, uh, prior and was actually fighting with a with a still healing broken hand. So um, to have done as well as he did in that fight against Movlid with a broken hand, you know, all props to him. And looking at what might be next for him, another run in a PFL certainly wouldn't be the worst move for him. Bellator does seem to make the most sense on paper. I think if Bellator offer him a decent enough deal, I think per fight, he could probably earn more uh, with Bellator than he does with the PFL. Obviously the lure of the big payday, He's there with the PFL. There isn't going to be a featherweight Grand Prix anytime soon in Bellator. They've literally just wrapped one of those. So, um, But what it does mean is the 145-pound division in Bellator is one of the most exciting weight classes across all of the promotions in MMA. There's so much talent in that 45 division in Bellator. Brendan would fit in an absolute treat in that Bellator featherweight division. I'd love to see that, but we'll see what happens. I mean, the man's got options. His stock undoubtedly has gone up since the start of the season and uh yeah really looking forward to seeing what happens with him but i agree with you you know if you've been away from home that long training as you say over in thailand at tiger muay thai during the pandemic getting himself ready then obviously doing everything he needed to do for the season itself get home get some family time in and uh let's uh cross our fingers that we get some good news a little bit later this year, maybe, as to what his next move might be. Just to wrap up the uh, all-family business from the PFL on Friday night, we also had the light heavyweight semifinals uh, were in action. Antonio Carlos Jr., shoe-faced himself, uh, defeating La- the 2019 champion, Emiliano Sordi, by unanimous decision to make it into the 205 final. He will take on uh, Martin Hamlet, who competed... Uh, for the Cage Warriors light heavyweight title back in the day. He defeated Cesar Vajera via uh, injury KO. Um, Cesar Vajera threw a kick early on, had a big problem, fell back on his leg, and uh, the fight was stopped after just 13 seconds. Hamlet virtually gets through by default, but he also gets through completely unscathed, opposed to Shoeface, who had to go three hard rounds with the uh, with the defending champion effectively in his semi-final. So those two will meet for the $1 million prize and light heavyweight title on Wednesday, October 27th, where all of those finals will take place. If you're in the UK and you want to know how to watch those fights, they are on MMA TV. Uh, check out MMA TV online and you can stream all those fights uh, live via whatever device you like. I think they have an app as well as the website itself. So everything you need to know is there. But uh, that was Friday night, Sandu. Then we had Saturday night, which was, was featherweights again. It was a bit of a weekend featherweights in, in MMA. 
Uh, we had the featherweight semifinals in the PFL. Then with the UFC, Giga Chikadze versus Edson Barbosa. On paper, this was a can't-miss main event. It was two decorated strikers going head-to-head, and it really was a case of whose style would be best on fight night. And it was uh, Chikadze's style that did the business, traded loads of kicks during the fight, but it was Chikadze who had more success with his kicks, especially to the body. I really, really enjoyed seeing those body kicks on Barboza, who's uh, did he's dished a few of those out himself in his career. And then it was all down to the punches at the end where Chikadze just stepped into range, loaded up with shots and finished Barboza in the third round. He's a contender now, Sandu, and he's a dangerous, dangerous man as well. And he wants Max Holloway next. I love that call out. I'd love to see him in there with Max, but he's going to have a big fight next, isn't he? Yeah, Juju Chikadze, Simon, he has arrived. Main event situation here with not, I wouldn't say the biggest household name in Edson Barboza, but he is most definitely a UFC stalwart. He's been with this promotion for, what, a decade plus now? Something crazy like that. So everyone knows who Edson Barboza is. And also, Edson's been on this fantastic run at featherweight himself, you know, he, he looks like he was almost completely reinvented at this weight class. No one thought he was able to cut down to it, but he's been able to cut down to 145 and put on some amazing performances. But Simon, Giga Chikadze, this guy is the man in form now. Nine wins in a row, undefeated in the UFC. And his last three opponents have all lost to him via TKO. This guy is really putting it together. And like you said, Simon, the, the post-fight interview, okay, he mentions Max Holloway. He mentions the idea of him being perhaps the reserve, the kind of the backup fighter for the title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. Now, if we're being realistic, I don't think he's getting either of those opportunities. But the fact that he mentioned it makes you think as the viewer, he is on that level. You know, he has almost inserted himself into the conversation where he believes and he let the audience know during that post-fight interview, hey, I'm on that level. Give me Max. Let's go. I can be fighting for the title right now. And I'm confident in my abilities to win that fight. And I thought it was a home run performance. I thought he did great on the mic. He had a nice set of, of, uh, of, of Georgian fans there, I believe, in his corner. It was nice in general just to see some fans in the apex, uh, you know, bring a little bit of atmosphere there. So that was fun. And yeah, like I said, Simon, he is not getting Max Holloway, who is ranked currently number one. He is not getting the champion or the title contender. But I mean, let's face it. Wouldn't you love to see him versus, I don't know, Yair Rodriguez, Chan Sung Jung, Calvin Cater, maybe even Arnold Allen or someone like that. But he's trending in the right direction. He was number nine, Simon, heading into the weekend. The rankings haven't been updated yet, but I feel like he'll get you know bumped up a few more spots now. Yeah, super, super impressive performance. And uh, as you know, we mentioned it about the Bellator 45 division. The UFC 45 division is absolutely stacked. Any fight you make in the top 10 is going to be a big fight. And there's all manner of different fighting styles in there. The Korean Zombie versus Chikadze would be a lot of fun. Rodriguez versus Chikazi would be a lot of fun. I just don't know. I mean, Calvin Cater, he's he's a stand-up fighter, stands and bangs. He would love to get in there with Giga Chikazi, I'm sure. So many good matchups you could make at 45. And yeah, he may he may not get in there and and uh be fighting for the belt immediately. But I think if he wins his next one by by stoppage against someone in the top in that sort of rank four to eight range then he's going to be right right in the mix, isn't he? Right in the mix. Maybe by the end of the year, he might be in with a shout or certainly be in the conversation at the very least of being a top contender at £145. Seems like a very humble guy, but he's got he's got those crowd-pleasing striking skills, isn't he? You know, you watch the guy fight. He might not be, as you say, the biggest household name, but when you see him doing what he's doing in the cage, you can't not sit and watch the guy. He's an absolute technician. And against someone like Barboza who goes in there and, just just drives people back with his with his kicks you know to have, see barboza being given a taste of his own medicine almost was was quite something and that's nothing against edson you know he's uh, one of the nicest guys in the sport and has been around for for a decade as you say 
but not many people stand and trade with Edson Barboza and live to tell the tale. And, uh, you know, Giga Chikadze did a superb job, got the job done and picked up the, uh, the TKO victory and the performance of the night bonus. Also on that fight card, we had the, uh, the tough finale uh, for middleweight and bantamweight. Brian Battle winning the middleweight tournament against Gilbert Urbina. Ricky Tercios uh, winning the bantamweight tournament via split decision and then bizarrely serenading the press room uh, with a karaoke version of Freebird by Leonard Skinner. I don't quite understand where that came from, but it happened. Look on social media, you'll find it. But the fight I wanted to talk to you about, Sandy, was the one that preceded those two fights. Daniel Rodriguez defeating Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee, who not all that long ago was thought to be the coming man at 155 pounds. He was working his way up. He had the swag. He had the trash talk. He had the personality. And something just didn't quite go right in Kevin Lee's career. He had that interim title fight against uh, Tony Ferguson. That didn't go his way. And it's kind of been a rocky road for him ever since. He moves up to welterweight, takes on Daniel Rodriguez and uh, loses a unanimous decision. What now for the Motown Phenom? That was a that was a tough one for Kevin Lee because it, it was kind of a, a fight that went backwards and forwards a little bit. There were times where it looked like Kevin Lee was in the ascendancy and looked to be doing quite well. But then Daniel Rodriguez, whenever he got the fight back, to, back up to the feet, was lighting up Kevin Lee with his strikes. And uh, that, in the end, I think was probably the determining factor in that 29-28 across the board. D-Rod gets the win. And uh, Kevin Lee, his, his run of form is not the best, Sandra. I mean, he's lost four of his last five, five of his last seven, if you're going all the way back to that interim title fight with Tony Ferguson. Just two wins since then against Barboza and Gregor Gillespie. That's it. Yeah, it's not good, is it, Simon? I mean, I feel like Kevin Lee, he, he was starting to struggle at lightweight in terms of making the way, being healthy, and, and also just being able to put on performances, you know, that he's capable of. He moves to welterweight, and I almost feel like at welterweight, with someone like a Daniel Rodriguez, he's undersized because Daniel Rodriguez is cutting a lot of weight. And, and here's the thing. We should be putting some respect on Daniel Rodriguez's name because let me tell you, this guy, he's only lost twice, Simon, and they've both been by decision. He's never been finished. His record is 16-2. and two. This, you know, victory over Kevin Lee being probably the biggest win of his career so far. But maybe in a couple of years, maybe even less than that, we'll be looking back at Daniel Rodriguez as someone that is actually, you know, at 34 years of age, going to put a little run together here in the UFC. So we should definitely be keeping an eye on him. But yeah, uh, going back to your question, Simon, Kevin Lee, I don't know. I mean, I wish there was like a 165 pound weight class because I yeah. feel like that would be absolutely ideal for him. But Whatever the case may be, he's got some big decisions to make. I feel like, who knows? I, I know he's moved around a few gyms. Uh, he's been at um, all, you know, the the gym in Montreal with Faraz Zahabi and those guys. Um, and then he's obviously trained in in Las Vegas as well, uh, which is his residency at the moment. But you know, I was looking forward to this fight. I thought this could be kind of like. The return of Kevin Lee, it just wasn't the case. And you mentioned all of his losses, Simon. Look at who he's lost to. Tony Ferguson, Ally Quinta, Rafael Dos Anjos, Charles Oliveira, and then, of course, now Daniel Rodriguez. So I don't know what's next for Kevin Lee, um, but I think he's got some soul-searching to do just to make sure he still feels like he can still compete at the, the very top level here. Yeah, definitely. And let's say, you know, you listed off the list the um, the names that he actually lost to. He's not losing to scrubs, is he? He's losing to top, top draw fighters. So, and Daniel Rodriguez is definitely one of those. You can call him a top draw fighter. I remember writing about him. Uh, I covered his UFC debut. And I remember that fight very well. He took on Tim Means on his UFC debut. Tim Means on your debut. What, what kind of a draw is that? And uh, he goes in there and he submits Tim Means in the second round in Rio Rancho. Earns himself a bonus. And I remember writing for MMA Junkie at the time, uh, waxing lyrical about him and basically saying he's he's going to be a problem at 170 pounds. And uh, that's exactly how it's been. He's gone on. The only fight he's lost, as you say, was a decision uh, to Nicholas Dalby in the UFC. He lost the decision earlier in his career, but at UFC level, he lost to Nicholas Dalby, former Cage Warriors champion. Um, nothing to be, nothing to be uh, too disappointed about there, but he's 
he's beaten Kevin Lee, he's beaten Mike Perry, he's beaten Dwight Grant, and he's beaten Tim Means. That is a solid group of names that he's already got on his on his uh, resume as a UFC fighter. So I'm looking forward to seeing him getting a bigger fight next time he gets in there because uh, to step in there and beat Kevin Lee is 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 a big big achievement. Let's see him in there with some of the very best at 170 now. Uh, the only other fight to mention was the featured prelim, Sandu. Abdel Razak Al-Hassan, a noted knockout artist who'd been on a bit of a wobbly run of form of late, taking on the very tough Italian Alessio de Chirico. And I thought this is one of those fights that would really bring out the best in Al-Hassan. And I thought de Chirico would drag him into the middle rounds at the very least, take him into the trenches, and we could have a fight of the night. Didn't go that way, did it? Head kick KO, 17 seconds, game over, completely flatlined him. That was absolutely incredible. And Al-Hassan's got a lot of knockouts on his UFC record, but that might just be the best of the lot. That was incredible. Yeah, he breaks his three-fight skid in emphatic fashion. And this is the the Razak that we have known uh, that can deliver you know, spectacular knockouts. For, for me, this was the performance of the night, the knockout of the night, whatever you want to call it. And also a touching uh, interview um, with Paul Felder where he kind of just talked about how his son had essentially mentioned that he didn't like to see his daddy lose and daddy don't lose. And, you know, if you're a parent out there, that's probably going to you know pull at your heartstrings. So, you know, I'm sure Abdul Razak Al-Hassan is going to be going home back to his son, a happy, happy man, a happy father and a happy fighter. Yeah. 11 wins in his mixed martial arts career, all 11 of them by first round KO or TKO. That is incredible. Given the fact he's been in the UFC for uh, a few years now, I'm just looking back through his record. He joined the UFC back in 2016. He's been in the UFC for five years or almost five years now. And uh, yeah, every time he gets in there and gets his hand raised, first round KO. And he's a bit of a bonus machine as well. He's racking up the bonuses as well. Understandably, picked up a performance of the night bonus on Saturday night as well. But weirdly, the UFC was not the biggest show in town this weekend. Normally, whenever there's a UFC card on Sandu, all eyes are on that. Everything else is kind of uh, a side dish. But the UFC was kind of the side dish this weekend because on Sunday night, just last night, we're recording this on a Monday, we had a Showtime boxing event. In Cleveland, Ohio, Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. And there's no there's no getting around it. When Jake Paul fights, it is a big deal. And he went in there with a legit opponent. You can talk about some of his previous opponents. You can talk about Ben Askren. You can talk about Nate Robinson. You can talk about uh, Anissa Gibb, who is just a YouTuber. And you can, you can pick holes in them. He took on Tyron Woodley, who, despite the fact that his UFC form has been not good. And he's kind of exited the UFC on a bit of a losing skid. This is a guy who not all that long ago was being considered as one of the best welterweight fighters to ever set foot in the UFC octagon. A guy with knockout power who has been in there and starched opponents in the cage and a guy who looked, turned up in good shape. It was not like he just sort of rocked up for the payday. He looks in good shape. But we saw the same old Tyron Woodley problems. Wasn't pulling the trigger the way that he used to when he was on his way up in the UFC. And uh, we wondered if we would see those problems against Jake Paul. We did. And Jake Paul won a split decision. It was a, it was a tough fight, a close fight. But the Jake Paul wagon keeps rolling on, Sandu, and uh, on to bigger and better fights, I'm sure. And, you know, the names are queuing up for him already by the looks of it. Yeah, first thing I want to say, I really enjoyed Fight Week. I really enjoyed the promotion for this event. I thought Showtime and all the various broadcast partners, the media on site, the, the on-camera talent, the, the production overall throughout the week was fantastic. It got me excited. It got other people that normally don't watch combat sports hitting me up, asking me about the fight. That's when you know that it's a big fight. And and of course, from our side of things, the, the MMA community, you kind of felt like as fight week was rolling on, they were starting to get more and more behind Tyron Woodley, especially when the incident involving his mother uh, broke out during or after the, the press conference on Thursday. So yeah, crazy scenes. And obviously the fight played out the way it did. I thought it was actually a pretty competitive fight. Obviously you've got Jake Paul. This is only his fourth pro boxing um, match. And, you know, he's the younger guy. Tyron Woodley's 
in his late 30s. Yes, he's a former champion in the UFC, but this was also his first pro boxing fight. You know, Jake Paul had the, the Cleveland, you know, home field advantage. The atmosphere in the in the arena was absolutely electric. The walkouts were fantastic. I scored it for Jake Paul comfortably. I don't know how you could score it for Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley, though, did have the biggest moment of the fight. He landed a massive shot that really rocked Jake Paul in the fourth round and kind of had him stumbling back in between the ropes. The ropes kind of saved him there uh, from perhaps uh, falling down. But Jake Paul, you've got to give credit to him, right, Simon? He kind of, you know, weathered the storm in that fourth round, came back and then saw the fight out. And, um, you know, all the shenanigans in the aftermath of the fight, you know, will Tyron Woodley get the I love Jake Paul tattoo to perhaps, you know, wangle his way into a, a rematch and perhaps another big payday? That all remains to be seen. But I think the biggest takeaway I have is what we see a lot, Simon, in not just MMA, but in combat sports in general, is a lot of copy-cut paste. Everyone in every department, from the promotion to broadcast partners and, and, and what have you, is always on autopilot. It's the same old, same old every single week. Everything about this event felt unique, and it felt different, and it felt fun. You know, it's, it's nice to have fun in combat sports. And, you know, I thought it was pretty cool to have this pay-per-view on a Sunday where there is no competition. You're not going head-to-head with anybody. And they proved that they could sell out an arena on a Sunday as well, even though a lot of people probably have, you know, work to do, uh, work to go to on a Monday morning. So for me, Simon, I'm coming out of this event with perhaps a little bit more respect for Jake Paul's ability as a boxer, given the fact that this was only his fourth uh, fight. And you can see that he's getting better and better and a little bit more composed as he goes along. Is he going to be a world champion? No, I don't think so. But can he put on, Simon, two or three events like this a year, whether it's YouTubers, celebrities, ex-MMA champions, free agents in combat sports, I don't know, Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort, who knows, right? But can he do that two or three times a year? Can he capture the imagination of various communities and various audiences that will come together and uh, and you know give us a bit of fun? I think he can, and I'm all for it. Do you know, it's been really weird because I've been... <laughs> I've been looking at the the pre-fight stuff and I enjoyed the head-to-heads. I, I really enjoyed the Tommy Fury, Anthony Taylor head-to-head. In fact, I enjoyed that one better than the Jake Paul one. I thought that was much more entertaining. But I was watching the pre-fight content and obviously I'm I'm well aware of Jake Paul and I'm, I'm aware of him trying to work his way into boxing. But I had to kind of... I had to, it was... It was I'm a dad. I've got two daughters, right? My oldest daughter is 10. She has suddenly started watching Bizardvark on Disney Plus. And Bizardvark features a young Jake Paul as one of the cast members. So I'm sitting there and I'm I'm kind of half thinking about this fight that he's he's got with Tom Woodley coming up at the weekend. And my daughter's sitting there watching him sort of just cocking about on Disney Plus. It was absolutely it's just a bizarre. Uh, it sort of messes with your head a little bit. This, that's where he came from. Like I think they put it on Instagram. Like when Tyron Woodley was winning the UFC title, he was in high school or something. It was so absolutely, absolutely mad. But what has to be said here is, and I touched upon it a little bit earlier. You, it's hard to pick. You can pick holes in Tyron Woodley's performance, right? And people can criticize Tyron Woodley's performance, but his bona fides were absolutely spot on. He's a he's a he's a power punching former UFC world champion, right? Those are not to be dismissed. He's someone who has fought in combat sports for a long time, and part of that um, ability involved him knocking out his opponents and using his hands. This is not Ben Askren, who is a, a almost a pure wrestler, a pure grappler, um, who barely used his hands really in terms of as 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 a real um, striking weapon. Not the same case with Tyron Woodley. This is a guy who throws hands for a living. He went in there with someone who used to be, a, well, he is still a YouTuber, former Disney star, who's decided he wants to chance his arm at boxing and has worked his way up, fought some guys who really haven't provided him much danger. This was a dangerous fight. He went in there, he won the fight legitimately. And you've got to hold your hands up and say, well done. You got, you know, he's done. He does a great job of promoting the fights. Some of the stuff he says is a bit stupid and, uh, you know, it might work for his fan base. Like you can see when he's getting rattled because he just starts repeating things back at, 
back at you. During the head-to-head, I thought Tyron had him a little bit, a little bit rattled at points. But going in there and competing, he did the job. All credits, he did the job, got the win, deservedly so. The question now is, who does he face next? The one that they've been trying to line up is Tommy Fury. Tommy Fury is the the younger half-brother of Tyson Fury. Um, He was a star on Love Island here in the UK. That's what made him really famous. Um, He didn't win. I think he was runner-up in that. But him and his his girlfriend, Molly May, are hugely famous on this side of the pond uh, because of that. And Tommy Fury is an up-and-coming boxer, looks the part, and didn't finish Anthony Taylor in, uh, in, in in their fight on Sunday night. Went a distance, won it comfortably, but didn't finish Anthony Taylor, who is an MMA fighter as well. So I think Jake Paul will probably feel like this is this is a good next opponent for me. And they might even decide to do it over here in the UK. Uh, depends how they want to do it. They could certainly make a really big show of it over in the UK as well. So that's a big option. Nate Diaz, I think, piped up. Conor McGregor was on social media, and I know Jake has replied to both of them on social media. They might be. I wouldn't take either of those fights next if I were Jake. I would, I would build up to them maybe and do look look for maybe Conor McGregor next year. If you could make the Conor McGregor fight in twenty twenty two, summer of twenty twenty two, I think that would be an absolute monster of an event. Um, but yeah, the man has options. This is a guy who you know people will start with. He's not. He's not a sportsman. He's not. He is an athlete now. He is a combat sportsman. He's a professional boxer, four and zero record. And he's just beaten a, an MMA world champion. So props to him. I don't know where he's going to go next. Who he's going to face next. Who would you pick for his next opponent? I'd love to see the Tommy Fury fight. I mean, like, why not? They had a bit of a scuffle after the event wrapped up. Uh, you can yeah. go to the BT Sport uh, social media accounts if you want to see the clip of that. And obviously they were planting the seeds for it. That's why they had Tommy Fury on the same card, right? And there's obviously the Tyron Woodley rematch. I don't know how that perhaps would go down if it would sell as more or, you know, it, it, it may be even more than this one uh, performed. But Simon, I just look at the landscape right now um, on the MMA side and I see Anton Silva, free agent, out here, boxing. Vitor Belfort, out, out here, boxing. And I start to think about the weight class. You know, Jake Paul com- competed at 190 pounds. I don't think the, the Conor McGregor fight might happen in the future. You just look at where Jake Paul competes at, he's going to be looking for, you know, big welterweights, middleweights, and light heavyweights. That's the kind of ballpark. Um, and former champions, you know, fighters that have name value. I mean, Anton Silva, we were all just gushing for how he performed in his last boxing match. And he's going to be taking on, you know, who's he fighting soon? Who's who's his next opponent? It's Vitor Belfort versus Oscar De La Hoya coming up, right? Yeah. And which was supposed to be Anson Silva's fight. Um, Anson Silva, he's been having a back and forth. I don't think it's confirmed yet, but he's been having a, ba- a bit of a back and forth with Logan Paul, Jake's brother. Uh, that was supposed to be a, a fight that they were going to try and schedule. So I feel like, you know, Anson Silva is a fight that could happen. You know, let's see what happens with Nate Diaz, Simon, over the course of the next six to nine months. You know, yeah. it feels like from, from reports, he's close to the end of his UFC contract. Does he re-up with the UFC? Does he explore free agency? He had a pop at Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley last night. So this is a, a very exciting time, you know, especially if you're a free agent in combat sports and you're looking for a big payday and you could bring something to the table because... Jake Paul isn't going anywhere anytime soon. He's going to be around. And to be to give him credit and to be fair, so far, he's looking pretty good at the level he's performing at. Yeah. You know, he, he said all the way all the way in, he said, Tyron Woodley's nickname is The Chosen One. And I chose him for a reason. And everything he said has proved to be pretty accurate. You know, he went in there. He could live with Tyron Woodley's power. He, he outboxed him. Uh, it, it, well enough to win the decision and uh, did what he said he was going to do and you know Tyron Woodley came off a little bit desperate in that post, post-fight post interview in the ring sort of almost begging him for a rematch I just it wasn't a good look you know this is there was talk about his legacy and all the rest of it and it should have no effect on his legacy as an MMA fighter but it didn't look it didn't look great for him to sort of almost almost be sort of 
begging Jake Paul for a rematch and Jake Paul sort of getting mocked by, oh, sorry, uh, Tyron getting mocked by Jake and his brother and all the rest of it and then saying, I'll oh, get the tattoo and it's a deal and all the rest of it. He's not getting that tattoo. And if he gets that tattoo, Jake Paul is still not going to fight him. So I, I just, that's my opinion. I just don't think that's going to happen. And then he's just, it's just going to be a long-standing fact that you got trolled again, you know? So I think the Tommy Fury fight is, is the one that makes, makes the most sense, but yeah, a big night, a big event. And they've come a long way since KSI versus Logan Paul won. So much has changed in that, in that realm. And, now Jake is stepping into the professional realm. I think the time now is for him to get in there with a legit pro boxer and see how he gets on. And Tommy Fury might be the ideal guy for that. So we'll see what happens uh, a little bit further down the line for Jake Paul. Uh, as for Tyron Woodley, he says he's now going to be boxing. God only knows who he's going to face next. No idea. But uh, that was Sunday night. And that wrapped up a pretty busy weekend of combat sports. But we've got a pretty busy weekend Coming up, Sandu, we've got Contender Series is back on again, starting on Tuesday night. We've got one championship are holding an all-female card on Friday, which is well worth checking out. If you're around during the day, UK time, um, it's well worth checking out. You've got the strawweight title is on the line. Uh, Zhang Jingnan versus Michelle Nicolini, who is a multiple-time BJJ world champion. And then you've got the Atomweight Grand Prix quarterfinal. Um, Angela Lee, who is the champion, is currently out of action. She's just become a mum. So she's out of the out of the picture at the moment. And now what's happening is they're holding a Grand Prix to determine who the Grand Prix champion will be. And then that Grand Prix champion will face the returning Angela Lee, I would assume, sometime next year. Sohee Ham is in this tournament, uh, who is a former rising champion, takes on Denise Zambawanga, who's the number one contender. Stamp Fairtex, who once held... One championship titles in kickboxing and Muay Thai. She takes on the woman who beat her last time out, Ukraine's Aliona Rasahina. Meng Bo, who I think uh, was the first woman to defeat uh, Zhang Wei Li. She's in one championship. She takes on India's Ritu Fogat in a quarterfinal. And uh, America's Elise Anderson takes on uh, my tip for someone who could be the next star in one championship undefeated Japanese judoka Itsuki Hirata. That is all on September 3rd, which I believe is Friday night. So that is well worth checking out as well. you got KSW 63, Roberto Soldich, Robocop is back in action. That is on Saturday. But it is all about what's going on in the UFC. Because Sandu, we get an event at a decent time of day. It's going to be happening UK primetime. And Darren Till versus Derek Brunson is at the top of this card. This should be a fun one. Yes. And Darren Till, Simon, he is in a situation where he needs a result. Because, look, we know that he has star power. You know, we know that he's a draw. He's got a massive social media following. Controversial at times, but he is who he is. But when it comes to British fighters in the UFC that are as close to household names as it can be, Darren Till is at the top of that pile leon edwards being probably number two behind him he's in a main event here simon obviously i think the general consensus is that this fight was supposed to take place in london it's now taking place in las vegas but they've sorted it out where it's gonna you know start a lot earlier so it'll be good prime time uh, for everyone back in the uk and yeah simon look it's gonna be a tough fight for him not gonna lie you know Der Derek brunson's on a run on a real, real good run, actually. You know, four-fight win streak, Elias Theodoru, Ian Heinish, Edmund Shabazian, and Kevin Holland, which is probably the most impressive victory of his recent run. Darren Till, if he wins, Simon, who knows? Could he perhaps insert himself into the title picture just with this one win? I think he can. Israel Adesanya has, you know, time and time again basically said, hey, I want that fight with Darren Till. He knows what Darren Till can bring to the table. And I'm sure Darren Till would do a good job in terms of cutting a pro promo after the fight in angling for the winner of Whitaker versus Adesanya too. But honestly, if I'm him, I'm not even looking that far ahead. The most important thing Darren Till needs to be focused on this week is putting on a performance, getting a win, and just reminding everybody 
that outside of his social media personality, he's a damn good fighter. And that's what I'm most looking forward to. That is the, the big story for me this week. Uh, Darren Till in a main event on a fight night card in Las Vegas. Let's see if he can get the, uh, the business done and, and get the result. Yeah, and it's a tough ask. Derek Branson, as you say, is in really good form. Four fight win streak. Darren Till's form is not good. He's won one of his last four, and he hasn't finished anybody since that stoppage of Donald Cerrone uh, back in 2017. So it's you've got to look back a fair way for him to get his his last finish. His most recent win was a split decision against Kelvin Gastelum. He's had a lot of trouble getting a fight though. You look on Tapology, which is which is the ideal place to look if you want to check out a fighter record because it doesn't just give you the fights that they had. It also shows you the fights that they had booked and didn't happen. He has lost four fights, or he's, he's missed out on four fights over the course of the last year. A rematch with Robert Whittaker, about with Jack Hermanson, about with Marvin Vittori, and about with Derek Brunson. Um, all those fights that were, were scheduled and then got scrapped the Brunson fight was rescheduled to this coming weekend, and we will get that one at the UFC Apex on Saturday night. The big question here for Darren Till, there's so much riding on this. You know, we talk about if he wins, he could get a title shot. What happens if he loses? Because that will then be four out of his last five. You know, we're in Kelvin Gastelum country again. Maybe they have to put those two together because they're both on they'll both be in on, on terrible runs of form, but if he can get a win against Derek Brunson, all bets are off. And that Israel Adesanya fight will loom large because that's the fight. I think Adesanya's wanted that fight almost as much as Darren Till does, because I think it's a fight that Adesanya knows will sell. It's a main event fight. They've both got big personalities. They've both got good stand up fighting stars. It'd be a fun fight for the purist, a fun fight for the casual. You may be, they don't always appreciate the ground game as much. These two will both look to stand and strike. And it'll be very interesting to see how this one goes on Saturday. Will Derek Brunson look to stand and strike? Or will he turn to his wrestling, which he has used to really good effect um, on occasion in his UFC career? Because if he if he turns to his wrestling, it could be a tricky night for Darren Till. If Till can keep it standing, then I think the odds are in his favour to uh, to get that stoppage win that he will be he will be desperately chasing on Saturday night. But it's a real knife-edge fight, I think, for Till. I mean, what happens if he loses this one, Sandu? I think you've got to reassess everything. I mean, like you said, Simon, you know, his overall record is he's one and three in his last four. His losses have come to Tyron Woodley, Jorge Mazadal, Robert Whittaker. Pretty good fucking company. You know what I mean? Like, that's good competition right there. Yeah. But... It was a split decision against Kelvin Gastelum. And we know Kelvin Gastelum's form hasn't been great, but he's been fighting killers too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think that'll be a tough you know, pill for him to swallow if he can't get a result against Derek Brunson. Because I feel like if he can't beat Derek Brunson, Simon, he's going to have to start looking. And I think the UFC are going to have to start looking at building Till back up again. You know, give him, you know, lower competition. But then again, it doesn't really kind of, work for Till. He's trying to ride as a big of a wave as, as a momentum as he can to try and keep his name in the mix at the top of the division, right? So I, I think we'll have to see how the fight plays out. If he does lose, it'll be something for us to discuss on next week's show. But I think just, you know, given the, 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 the lay of the land and the, and the landscape and, you know, how he performed against Whitaker last year, even though he lost, I felt as though he kind of showed that he is on that elite level. He just needs to show it one more time against Eric Brunson and get that win, like I said. So, yeah, let's perhaps not contemplate the uh, the the situation of him losing just yet. Let's see how the fight plays out. Yeah, fingers crossed for him. It's a big, big fight for Liverpool's Darren Till. But he will not be the only scouser on the card. Paddy Pimblett will make his long-awaited UFC debut on the main card against Brazil's Luigi Vendramini. This is a fighter who has been linked with a move to the UFC for years, ever since he was working his way up through Cage Warriors. He became the Cage Warriors featherweight champion. He's now, as he's grown up um, as a man, he's now grown into his body. He is now a bona fide lightweight and a pretty sizable one at that. He is now a UFC fighter. He's waited long and hard for this opportunity, and he takes on Vendramini on Saturday night. We're not 
jumping the gun too much here to say from a personality standpoint, he is probably the biggest personality to come out of the UFC. Uh, sorry, to come out of Cage Warriors uh, promotion since Conor McGregor. He's got that that similar sort of uh, energy around him that Conor had when he moved his way up. Now he's got a long way to go if he wants to replicate McGregor's successes in the UFC. But he's coming in with a lot of hype behind him. And he's got a tough draw for his first fight in the UFC against Luigi Vendramini, Sandu. I am really excited about Paddy Pimblett making his UFC debut, Simon, because like you mentioned, you know, the path that he's come from, the Cage Warriors path, and, you know, people have compared him to Conor McGregor and, and as such, and he's got a great personality, a proper scouser, et cetera, et cetera. And, and yeah, look, he's, his, his debut fight is going to be on a UFC main card that's going to be prime time in the UK, right? So this is going to have a lot of eyeballs on it. If you can get the win, cut a promo, you know, something iconic, similar to what Conor McGregor did many, many years ago. You know, he's got everything else. He's got a great personality. He's got a great look. He's different, you know, and he's a pretty good fighter as well. And I spoke to him a little bit over the last couple of days because he's been dealing with some issues with regards to his Instagram being taken down. Um, but he seems to me to be very focused and he seems to be full of confidence and he is really looking to put on a show, Simon. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what the, the, the Vegas media, how they treat him, how he handles the media obligations this week, what those interviews are like, what sound bites we get out of him. It's going to be a fun, fun fight week with Paddy Pimblett and Darren Till involved, two, you know, proud scousers. So, so yeah, this is exciting, right? You know, every now and then there will be a British fighter that will get signed to the UFC and we get excited about the debut because we start to think, you know, could this be the next big thing? We're going to find out this weekend. Yeah, and he's a little bit different as well. You know, most of the fighters that come out of the UK tend to be from a striking background. Paddy is not from a striking background. He's much more of a grappler than he is of a striker. He's happy to throw hands, don't get me wrong. but He's more of a grappler than he is a striker. And I think I think that immediately makes him a little bit different to a lot of the fighters that have come out of the UK over over the years. But um, they're not the only scousers on the card either. Molly McCann is on the card. She takes on G Young Kim, also rep, uh, rep in the UK. The co-main event, Tom Aspinall, will take on the man that he's called out so many times. Sergei Spivak is stepping in to uh, to replace the originally scheduled opponent for Tom Aspinall, Sergey Pavlovich, who had visa issues and couldn't make it over to the States. Spivak steps in. So Aspinall finally gets the guy he wanted all along. That's the co-main event. That will be one to watch. If he wins that one, the sky's the limit for him. Uh, Modestus Bukowskis uh, from Lithuania, but basically from here in the UK, former Cage Warriors light heavyweight champion. He's looking to pick up a win against Khalil Roundtree at 205. That's on the main card. That'll be a big fight for him. Uh, on the prelims, you've got Molly McCann. You've got Wales's Jack Shaw. He was going to be taking on Saeed Namagomedov, but he's now taking on Ludwig Scholinian, um, who I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming he's making his UFC debut. And uh, we've we've lost out on a few Brits as well. Mark Diakese was supposed to be on this card against Rafael Alves. That bout is off. Paul Craig was supposed to be in the co-main against Alexander Gustafsson. That fight is off because Gustafsson got injured. Nathaniel Wood was supposed to be on this card against Jonathan Martinez. That fight, unfortunately, isn't happening because Nathaniel Wood picked up an injury. And Lerone Murphy was supposed to be in there with Charles Air Jourdain. Uh, unfortunately, Murphy had visa issues as well, so he has had to miss out. Jourdain remains on the card, takes on Juicy J, Julian Arosa. It's a fun fight card, this. There's, there's some really good matchups on this card. Local time for us Brits here in the UK. Nice and early for you guys over on your side of the pond, Sandu. Uh, should be a nice way to kick off the weekend, all things told. Yeah, this is always fun when everyone that has to, especially this last couple of weekends, Simon, the UFC has had these main cars kicking off at 10 p.m. Eastern time, which is three o'clock in the morning in the UK. And for everyone that stays up late, has the Red Bull, you know, drinks a bit of coffee, stays up until five, six o'clock in the morning to to finally have a card where they can go to a pub or a bar with things open up now, get together with friends at a reasonable hour and actually enjoy the fights. 
you know, and, um, you know, not have to stay up until six o'clock in the morning and completely wreck your Sunday. Well deserved. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you are too. Yeah, it's going to be a great one. I'm looking forward to just, it's always nice when you get to settle down and watch fights at a reasonable time of day. I know as us Brits, we're kind of used to burning the midnight oil and staying up till stupid o'clock in the morning. And, and so often it, it, it repays you with, with great action, but to be able to do it on our own time zone is, is always a little bit special. And I guess it's a nice thing for everybody on your side of the pond. It's almost breakfast or lunchtime fights. So I can't imagine. I mean, like the Aussies have got it absolutely made because it's like that for them every week. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Some good fights. Hopefully we'll get some wins for the Brits. We can kickstart off the careers and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about on next week's show. And Sandu, I think that might be just about everything we've got on this week's episode of the Brit Pack. Yep, that's everything. If you want to support the show, the best place to do it is thebritpackmma.com. That's thebritpackmma.com. We are available on Apple and Spotify. If you are listening to us on the Apple podcast platform, please do us a favor, rate and review us over there. When you do, it actually helps us and it helps the show get found on that particular platform. And yeah, we're available to reach out to on social media, the Britpack MMA on Twitter. And Simon and myself are always happy to answer any questions you have on Instagram or Twitter as well. And you can find all of our handles, like I said, the BritpackMMA.com website. There you go. Everything you need to know. Big weekend of fights this weekend. One championship on Friday. KSW Saturday. But of course, it is all about the Brits in action at the apex ufc fight night at a decent time get in front of the telly get the beers in enjoy the fights and come back and join us next week as we talk about it all see you later